Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along. It's just after 8 o'clock in the United Kingdom uh, where I am. Well, it appears that uh, we've lost John already and we're only a minute into the show. Uh, good evening and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 19, Episode 3, and we are live from Daytona. Uh, or Hello. John is, at least. Uh, Hello. Oh, you are there. Good. Well, yeah, finally. Back. Sorry. We've <laughs> I've not been anywhere. I've been talking all the time, but unfortunately... Yeah, there's no one can hear you. Well, although, nobody listens to me anywhere. Uh, just to my right here is Peter Mackay. Let's get him to say hello before we lose the link again. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here at Excellent. the International Speedway. Uh, as I was saying, just after 3 o'clock here in the afternoon, just after midnight in Dubai for the 24 hours this weekend. But, of course, we've got the 24 hours here as well. Tim is up in London. Our executive producer on a patch show tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, well, we have Peter Mackay, which uh, we don't have very often on Midweek Motorsport, but we do tonight. Uh, you heard him just now. Uh, we're just about to dispatch him to leave the uh, Daytona studio. Uh, he's going to be doing some interviews for us uh, later in the show, so he's got to go and Correct. wander around. And uh, in the second hour of the show, he'll be doing a preview of the uh, FIA World Rally Championship, which starts... Uh, this weekend, of course, with the Monte it's, Carlo Rally. It's Monte Carlo, our bus this weekend. Absolutely. Just, so, just to please Nick Damon, who's also with us tonight. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, uh, PMAC. Uh, good evening, Shay. Good evening, everybody, and I'll see you all very soon. Uh, you could say good evening to Shay, but she's not listening, is she? Uh, no, she's a couple of booths further over because we, you're about to hear in the background the Michelin Pilot Challenge cars going out for their first practice we have had some practice we had mx5s out uh, and uh, we have a brand new rookie who was quick in uh second quickest in the, the session that we're going to have to keep um, a, a note for a uh, quick word from peter before he disappears never disappoints this place does it it's very hard to quantify john i'll is if you've never been here come and see it it's one of the best weekends of the year for me it kicks off the motorsport season and what a joy to see so many great teams drivers here and so many fans already it's only wednesday we're three days before the race and it's already packed out it's wonderful right we're going to pack peter off with the radio mic to go and do some bits and pieces i have got uh, some parish notices scott relay uh, sorry scott Rillier. 
is boarding a plane for Orlando. I should be on the ground by the time you're reading this. Um, I'm going to the premiere tonight. I'll see you there. I'll be across at one Daytona. Um, around about half an hour after the show finishes tonight. Early EFAs from Max UK. Uh, he's in Lanzarote, enjoying the sun. You can still be listening. Eh? Looking forward to the GT3 battle, especially the Ford GM battle. Go Nick and Jensen flying the flag in GTP. Uh, I'll be watching and listening on the, the IMSA app uh, on the weekend. Hello to Marcel Duke, who is uh, in Dubai. Mulder Motorsport, a full lineup announcement tomorrow. Be sure to give it a follow at Mulder Motorsport. And we'll pick up that story on Friday and Saturday with the team on site. Alex Orkin, hopefully no AFAs and I get back in time for the show. Looking forward to the fun and common sense. And will Andretti by Haas. Supper and washing up happening sometimes as well. EFA from Jesse Young, motorsport announcement that made my day the delightful news that uh, Kat Samaza Gio will step up to the number 23 Nissan as part of their Super GT uh, driver shuffle. Could it finally be his year after missing out on the title twice? Sort of feel like he deserves it. Uh, trying to imagine the entire field entering turn one, two, and three wide. Uh, it's going to be a cracker. 50 of you going in, 25 in coming back. No airfares, says Brody. I'm on the turbo trainer while listening, wishing I wasn't. Well, on the turbo trainer. Uh, Blur Fiend, uh, loading up the RV. Maybe he actually means he wishes he wasn't listening. No, no. He says the turbo. I I read it as as he wrote this. Blur Fiend's loading up the RV, and we'll be heading down uh, to us here at Daytona. The Colonel, no airfares. Looking forward to listening to live. RC Racing. Uh, and his view on the new Miami. Oh, sorry, Madrid. Can't wait for the weekend. Uh, looking good, says Kevin Payne. Safe travels. Looks like everyone's going to need sunscreen. Uh, hello to Neil and G Auto Art listing in tonight. Uh, artist in residence. Daniel Priest. Hello, Daniel. Thanks for tuning in. Whole 8 degrees C tonight. Hope you have a more pleasant climate, says Johnny Main. Gets real this weekend, 2024, he reckons. Uh, Carol Brink and the Brinks listening in from two different places. Tom Marshallax tuned in, as is Sean Crockett. He's uh, at the bench. Uh, Bandsaw and Pillar Drill setting up at this weekend. That's what he'll be doing while he's tuned in. Hello to Matt, uh, to Dave. No, we meant to Dave. Edwardian Creations listening in tonight as well. 10 days till I leave, 20 days till I get there, 24 to the Bathurst, 20, uh, 12 hours. Very good. Hello, Simon Hoff, who's tuned in. Rebel Rock Racing tuned in on the infield with their new Aston Martins, of course. Uh, hello to James Counter. Um, uh, in bed with cold, not infecting the scouts during their cold-breaking evening tonight, but tuned in instead. Oh, uh, really? With a cold. Mm. Hello, Moni. Uh, Moni Elysium. Monica. Um, wishing... She was see there hanging out with the racing family. Tuned in all weekend from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Alan Prosser tuned in. Man, there's a lot tuned in tonight. At Specutainment, Sam Pierce listening in for the first time this season uh, after a bit of circuit rallying pictures. Uh, and everyone else who's listening, including Tom Davies from Hampshire in the UK. Right, that's the parish notices. The Mission Pilot Challenge cars are out. I'll try and find a timing screen because I'm up on top. I'm in the management area at the moment because our hard-working tech team are setting up the booth for our live coverage tomorrow. So, Tim, you can shuffle your papers and find a top story for me. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
OK, I found one. Uh, let's say hello again to Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick, properly. Good evening, Tim, properly. And Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Uh, what is going to take 92 seconds in 2026? Um, what's the subject of this, of, this, uh, of this story? I don't want to give it away, I'm afraid. Well, it's the uh, lap of the New I Madrid I reckon it's Grand a lap Prix, of Madrid. It? it is a lap of Madrid, yes. <laughs> yes. And what is that subject? Uh, this is Formula One. Hooray! John's not on the faders. Hooray! Didn't go into the red at all. Uh, sorry, I should have tweaked myself a bit. So Formula <laughs> One, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, uh, is uh, going to have a race Formula in Madrid. Formula One is right up your street. Mm. Yep, they're going to Madrid. Mm. Um, the the long running battle between the Catalans and the uh, the Royalist Spaniards can continue again, uh, and uh, Madrid's nicked their Grand Prix. Except it hasn't, has it? Well, it has. Uh, I know. I know. In the very wording of everything, the start of the Madrid Grand Prix is 2026, and the end of the Catalonian Grand Prix in Barcelona is also 2026. So theoretically, it'd be two Spanish Grand Prix in that year. So again, theoretically, uh, but it's not going to continue, is it? They, they don't want they, they, the last thing they want is more European races. Um, ah, but Stefano Domenicali says that this is not the end for Barcelona. What else is he going to say? It is. It is. Well, 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 they, might, they might come back in 2035. If if the Madrid race works, then there is not going to be two races in Spain. It's not going to happen. There shouldn't be two races in Italy, and that will sort itself out in a couple of years. Um, so here's a question. Here's a question for you, Nick. Many, many times people have said, oh, Barcelona's boring. Barcelona, why do we go there? They all test there. We never get a great Grand Prix. So we're going to move away. And then they said, oh, no, no, but we don't want to go to another street circuit. Yeah, well, there you have your, uh, there you have it all in one, uh, uh, encapsulated the uh, the uh, hypocrisy of uh, the F1 fan base, social media, and people. The fact is that actually the Barcelona circuit is an excellent circuit to see how well your car works. It produces below-average races, not as bad as everyone says, but below-average yes. races, um, and the track is not um, the highest level of standards compared to other, other even other European legacy tracks. So. You know, in in this in the world as it is, the moving away from Barcelona was always going to happen. Um, luckily, if you are a Spanish person, um, you will still have a race in your country because it was going to move away and uh, and and not be in Spain anymore. Um, you know, it's another, it's another combo street um, road track um, to add to Miami, um, to add to in many ways the Marina. Um, whether it will work or not, who knows? We have to wait and see when we get the track. But the, the key thought thing is apparently that everyone can get there on public transport, so that's fine. Stefano Domenicali says, for the avoidance of doubt, and to clarify here, the fact we're in Madrid is not excluding the fact we could stay in Barcelona for the future. Looking ahead, we are already in discussions to see if we can extend our collaboration with Barcelona, with whom we have a very good relationship. OK. I don't believe him, but he can say anything he likes. Uh, it's great news for F1. It shows, once again, there's a strong appetite around the world for our sport. Well, yeah. At a time where Europe is perceived to be a place that's not ready to invest... How many other European... Madrid and others are showing that it is. Carry on, John. I think we've lost John. Again, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's... it's, You know... (sighs) 
I think it's fine that they've got someone to invest some money in, in Europe. Um, yeah, the Madrid race has been trying to get underway for two or three years. I'm, I've got nothing against them having a race in Madrid, and I've got nothing against losing the race in Barcelona. They also don't mind if they keep the race in Barcelona. Um, the effective issue is there's too many races, uh, and that's not going to change. Uh, adding a new venue means you have to lose a venue, and the obvious venue to lose, certainly after one year, is is, is Catalonia and Barcelona. It doesn't, it doesn't justify. You know, you haven't got a German Grand Prix, you haven't got a French Grand Prix there. You know, the, the number of European Grand Prix is very, very low now. So why would you have two in Spain? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not motorcycling. Let's be honest. We have 17 in Spain. Which circuits uh, have uh, their Formula One contracts up for renewal between now and the end of 2025? Uh, Spa. Spa, correct. Silverstone? Yes. Uh, Monza or Imola, one of the two. Both Probably of Monza. them, yes. Both of them, yeah. Um, that's about it, isn't it? All, I think Hungary have signed up. Isn't it every single other European Grand Prix? Uh, Zandvoort, that expires in 2025. Yeah, uh, and also Suzuka and Shanghai and uh, Mexico City. Right. So the interesting thing is, is that Mexico City is, you know, wh- how popular would Mexico City be if, if Checo wasn't there is the question. And, and I don't know. That's, that's a question that can't be answered. Um, the, you know, let's be honest that we have had two Spanish Grand Prix before and the second one fell, failed miserably uh, in Valencia. That was when um, Fernando was at the height of his pomp. So, yeah, there are plenty of, 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 there are far too many dates for Grand Prix. Um, 24 is too many races by, by at least four. My personal feeling is about 17 is, is enough. Uh, we'll have to see how it works out this year. You know, the, 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 the thing is that on the whole, um, outside of one track, all the tracks now are exceptionally safe, which is the key point. Um, which one do you more, think isn't? Monaco. Monaco wouldn't be Monaco. Think? Monaco is the only track that wouldn't be homologated t- t- tomorrow if it if it turned up. How so much do does Monaco pay to host the Grand Prix? Not very much. We are paying now at last. Yes, fifteen million dollars mm-hmm. US dollars. Uh, how much uh, is let's say the Hungaro Ring paying? Uh, I'm going to go. For, I don't know, but I'm going for thirty-two million dollars. Forty million dollars. Yeah. Uh, what about Interlagos? Oh, well, there's how much they say they're paying and how much they actually pay. Um, What's written in the Brazil. contract? Uh, in the contract, I'm going to say it's $29 million. It's $25 million. That seems to be quite a popular figure because it's the same amount that Suzuka pays, the same amount that Silverstone pays, the same amount that Monza pays, the same amount that Mexico pays, slightly uh, higher than uh, Spa. Uh, it's the same amount as Austin, it's the same amount as Barcelona, it's the same amount as the Red Bull Ring. Pretty much $25 million um, when you were doing a deal five years ago was what you expected to pay. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, think, remember, per year, Tim. Yes, per year. Yeah, and also don't forget that that isn't the only revenue that FOM get out of it, because they also get all the paddock club and all the circuit signage as well. Yes. So they're making a lot more than $25 million per race. Uh which is the highest paying uh, Saudi Arabia. It is, 55 million uh, US dollars a year. All the money what, dripping that? in blood. Sorry, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's, um, that's a circuit that's not safe either. And, and in fact, they well, it is until 2030. 
No, I mean, well, they're the, building another one, aren't they, at the moment? Are they? A, a proper circuit. I keep saying they're yeah. going to. But they only get away with it because they call it a straight circuit. There's only a tiny bit that is actually a public road or ever was a public road. It, <laughs> None they, of it is now it, a public road. Well, no, indeed. Exactly so. Exactly so. Um, it, I think I think Saudi and Vegas are very dangerous tracks because of the speeds. And I think Saudi. I think they've, they've they've worked on Saudi twice. I think it still, as you say, isn't great. I think Vegas. We haven't they, right, like we haven't seen what they're going to do for next year yet. True. Uh, staying with Formula One, and who has announced he's writing a book? <laughs> well, you yeah, have to yeah. give me a slightly bigger clue than that. He's currently an unemployed uh, former Formula One team boss. Franz Toss. Flavio Briatore. Neither of those. Uh, Otmar Safner. No, Gunter Steiner. Gunter Steiner, of course. He's uh, he's already written one book, Surviving to Drive, in uh, 2022. Is his sequel not surviving anymore? Uh, who knows? Or not driving. It's certainly not driving. Surviving, not driving. Uh, I'm in a state of flux, he says. Yeah. I don't know what the flux is going on. <laughs> Uh, some people speculated that uh, all these uh, books he writes distracted him from his responsibilities at Haas. Uh, he replied with, I think I'm, uh, people are overreacting uh, and uh, overrating how much of a distraction it is. It's not a lot of distraction from the day job. Uh, I don't have 20 sponsor appearances a weekend, for example. Well, oh, true. We'll see. And obviously, Ghost Rice does it for you. Mm. Wow. Uh, let's say hello to the Visa Cash App RB team. Let's not. The people, people are saying it's the worst name ever. I don't think it's the worst name ever. I'm sure there have okay. been others. Oh, MasterCard, we should have a poll. MasterCard Lola was far less successful on the, uh, on the credit card world of things. Um, it, is, it is a little bit um, uh, crass, I think you'd have to say. Um, they just called it Visa RB. It'd been fine, but it's this Cash App thing. But like, specifically, oh. they want to promote the Visa Cash App, don't they? What is the Visa Cash App? No, 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 no let's not answer that because I'm, I'm doing what they want me to do. Um, no, exactly. But um, it's it's a bit rubbish. I mean, also, I don't know, you know, what are they, they're going to have to say every single time. What you else know? would you call them? You know, it's the Visa Cash App RB. Well, you know, we, we could just call them Alpha Tauri or Alpha Romeo or William. <laughs> Not you know, Alpha Romeo. No, I know I'm saying we used to, I said. I used to. I used the past tense for both Alpha Tauri and Alpha Romeo. I mean, I don't particularly want to call them Steak F1 either, but this is, this is, this is another level of stupidity with Visa Cash App RB. And it's now the Visa Cash RB. No. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be a little bit um, easier to say for commentators. You call them VCARB. V-carb. That sounds, that sounds like some sort of advanced diet. I'm on the V-carb diet. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's uh, fully vegetarian and high in carbohydrate. Yes, exactly. You basically, uh, so you basically have uh, a bowl of rice every five times a day. However, um, you think about it, it's quite a clever idea because now we're all talking about the name. We're not talking about the um, slightly suspicious amount of cross-pollination between the two teams anymore, are we? Which is, which is the big underlying rumble at the moment, isn't it? Where no one believes there's well, a real... There's a real... The, I mean, that's a good point. Why don't they just call it as it is and just call it Red Bull Reserves? 
or Red Bull a great way to get around the cash uh, the cost cash cap. cap. Oh, Should they call it yeah. AFC Red Bull? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Work for Sunderland. Uh, cash Cal-Bring has been a sponsor can... of the Red Bull team uh, for the last uh, two and a half years. Yeah, no, they can't even get their own sponsor. I mean, it's, um, it, is, it is a little bit... If I was one of the other teams, I wouldn't be concerned about the Visa Cash App thing. I would be concerned about AlphaTauri moving to the... Sorry, well, Visa Cash App, whatever they call it. AlphaTauri uh, moving to the Milton Keynes campus because... That's all too. Because, you know, because there's going to be cross-pollination of ideas which are out with of fair conversations and the, ca- and the, ca- and the cost cap. It's just going to happen. No, in the, it, the point about it is, when... Dieter Bashitz bought AlphaTauri, or bought Minardi. We needed someone to rescue the team. There are now plenty of people who will buy a team for the right amount. That team needs to be sold. You can't have a one entity mm-hmm. owning two teams. They don't let, you can't do the Premier League, so why should we do it in F1? Who has moved Johnny, on? Johnny Main says they could have had a super cool name like Moneytron. Mm, that is and cool, actually. a picture of the Moneytron as well. Uh, Carl Briggs says, maybe Gunter needs a flux capacitor. That I like a lot. An Ian flux Phil capacitor. Says, you guys sound like... An Ian flux capacitor, yes. F- uh, Phil says, you guys sound like you're next to an hydraulic fan, uh, Timmy. I am, man. yes. Yeah. I think an yeah. Uh, who has announced uh, his retirement from Formula One uh, t- uh, this week? Is it me? I hope not. No, I don't know. I haven't seen that one actually because I can't think who's not who's not doing it anymore. Is it Nick DeVries? Because he's <laughs> it's he not was Nick retired. DeVries, no, uh, go on. Who is it? Jack Aitken. Oh, okay. He had one race, didn't he? Uh, yes. Did he not start another one? Oh, he must. Yeah, he must. Did he start the second one as well? Because did he? I can't. No, no. He started one race when he subbed up for. Um, uh, George, when yeah. and of course he was he was inadvert he was uh, inadvertently responsible for George not winning that race. Yes, that's right. Finished sixteenth. Uh, yes, he despite wiping those off the car. Um, well, he's doing something far more important. That's though, right. He now, nearly started in Abu Dhabi, uh, but Lewis was recovered in time, so he wasn't. Still very. He was obviously below par in that race. Um, yeah, he just didn't want George to ruin his car exactly. again. He didn't want George having a second go. Let's be really honest about that. He was much happier with his with, with Mr. Uh, Bottas as his teammate. Anyway, um, yeah, that Jack's great. He's a good guy. He's, he's uh, you know, I'm, uh, I would think he's obviously he's got the. Um, the full-time drive in IMSA, isn't he? Uh, replacing uh, Alex Sims because he was only the endurance racer last year. He said, I really enjoyed my time both with Renault and with Williams, but it's a boring job. You come to a weekend, you can do some basic jobs here and there, but really you're just standing waiting for someone to fall down the stairs and that's a terrible life to live. Standing at the back, He's not wrong. writing a check. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And yet so many people want to do it. I know. It's that's the psyche of a racing driver, isn't it? Some of them have NG this desire. What? Sorry, Nick. Okay. This week, sorry. Um, NG Auto Art Neil says, "How about Citroen Visa Cash Cap Racing Limited by Red Bull?" Mm. I like don't dislike that. Mm-hmm. Very good. I used to like the Citroen Visa. Did you? Yes. Okay. No. No, Not for no you. So big Citroens were good. C6s and obviously an SM would be fantastic. 
Maserati. Well, that might be something to do with it. The XGTI was good, the little one. Mm -hmm. Moving on, Midweek Motorsport, Series 19, Episode 3. I'm a that had an XM. Really? really? Nice. Yeah, big old bus, it was nice. Mm, very comfy very those nice. days. Uh, let's do one more Formula One story. Oh, hurrah. All right. Now, last year, mm -hmm. or up before last year, if you'd asked Gerhard Berger who the greatest Formula One driver of all time was, what would he have said? Ayrton Senna. What's he saying now? Probably Max Verstappen. Yes. Yes. Well, there we are. <laughs> He's wrong on both counts, though, isn't he? Um, the greatest racing driver of all time, Formula One Formula racing, one driver, driver, of all racing time. driver of all time, is an impossible statement. And people can have their opinions and they can change their opinions. The fact is, there's never, ever, ever going to be a definitive answer. And it's just going to depend on who individual people like and what they use to class their um, statements on. The only per one thing I would say. And the only person who is inarguable against, I'm going to say it again for the second time two weeks, is John Surtees. He's the only person who's inarguable against because he won it on two and four. Doesn't yes. necessarily make him the best person. No, best no, no, he's, he's versatile. He is, he is the greatest motorsport pilot ever. Uh, Berger was then asked uh, if he thought uh, his former team Ferrari uh, could uh, win the title. Uh his reply was, Frederick Vasseur was new to the team last year. You have to give someone some time. Now a year has passed. New people have been recruited. And I think the team is capable of uh, further taking a step forward. But Red Bull's a benchmark and they've got Adrian Newey. Do you know what? Can't argue with that. That's a, that's a, a sublime amount of sense. Mm -hmm. Whoever told you the story when I had to smuggle something through Italian customs for Gerhard Berger? Uh, was it more than six years ago? Uh, yes. Oh, well, in that case, you one. can tell us a story. Um, I was I was presented yes. uh, on on Gerhard, Ber Gerhard Berger was being given a solid silver statue of himself encrusted with like a jewel by Bernie uh, to be presented in his 200th Grand Prix, and they stuck it in my luggage to get it through the, the flight into Italy because at that time, of course, it was before it was, it was about 97, so it was obviously before all the open borders, and it was way over the value you were allowed to take into the country without declaring. And of course, uh, you weren't someone who uh, it would matter if you were stopped at customs exactly. and uh, held for the weekend. Whereas Gerhard Berger probably didn't want to miss his two hundred. Well, it wasn't Gerhard Berger. It would have been someone, been someone more senior in the FOM department who got pulled over. I'd imagine probably it probably weighed Baker. quite a bit, so you probably had was, the lightest bag. It was heavy. Yeah. It was, yeah. So it was, it was probably very, thinking was... about excess baggage as well. Bernie was never one to. Uh, it's a good point, actually, because it was before the... Um, it, was, it was 97, so it was before the Bernie Jets. We actually were going commercial. Let's move on, uh, <laughs> because uh, this weekend it's the Daytona 24 Hours. Yes. Uh, and oh, yeah. qualifying's already happened, John. It has. Qualifying happened at the weekend. Nick and I um, watched the final free practice session with the GTPs, which was terribly, terribly... Exciting, and then qualifying started. Unfortunately, the GT cars messed it up a little bit, and we had a long red a flag. Long red and that flag. sort of it just sort of brought us down a little bit. And then they qualified, then the P2s qualified, and then the GTPs qualified. Every single qualifying record was broken, and the whole of the um, 
the whole of the GTP field, or at least those that qualified, nine out of ten qualified, beat the uh, beat the previous lap record, which had been back set back in when was it? Was it nineteen by Ollie Jarvis in the Mazda, which beat a twenty odd year old PJ Jones uh, American all American races. Uh, lap records so it was really fast really exciting and if you didn't see it at the weekend it's on youtube but in i do meantime, think john if you did i do think that what? you are underestimating how much last year's poor weather slowed them down so i don't think last year's times were representative of what they were capable of in qualifying well there were, there were new cars at the front of the field last year and it was a set a full second faster than they went um i think you're probably right um, once we've heard from the drivers, we can talk about the fact that... Well, actually, let's not, but I'm going to flag up the fact that um, out of... Um, I think there are nine changes in BOP for the GTD and GTD Pro Clock cars, which has literally broken while we've been on air here. Um, so there'll be a bit of chat about that. We can do that tomorrow. Go on to imsa.com if you want all the full details, because talking about BOP is... Slightly boring. However, qualifying has happened. It's all about the race from now on. Let's hear from the pole position drivers. Which one would you like to hear from first? Oh, uh, do I get a choice? Yes. I thought you'd have packaged them up. Um, well, let's start with uh, with GTD and GTD Pro. And who was on pole? Uh, it For the whole of the GTDs and Pro, it was EO Racing and Sebastian Prio. It was indeed. Rexy's first pole results in being pushed into victory lane at Daytona International Speedway. Sepria, you're the guy to make that happen. You get handed a trophy on that podium, and it's just for the pole, but does that make you want another trophy even more? Yeah, for sure. I'm, <laughs> I've got a good bunch of t a team behind me, and, um, you know, it's a long race ahead, so I'm not going to get too excited, but she did well today. I got the tyre warmed up very well on the start of qualifying, maximised my lap, and uh, put it all together, and um, really, really happy with how it went. Does it feel like a different car from 12 months ago? I would say so, yeah. It feels a lot more alive, and uh, I'm just happy that I was able to do it for Porsche today and, and AO, the team, and I, I can't thank everyone enough for all their hard works at home, and, um, yeah, happy today. It's not going to be this cold next week. Do you read anything into the advantage in your pace with these conditions? Um, you know, it's the same for everyone, and we'll go out there, and whatever I've got underneath me is what I've got, and we'll just stay, uh, how can I say, just stay focused on what we can do, and, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Good luck next week. Appreciate it. Thank you. John. Uh, let's move on to, uh, let me see. Uh, let's move on to GTD. That was Parker Thompson on pole. Very fair few people get their first pole position at Daytona International Speedway. Parker Thompson, you've done it coming off the back of an announcement of a full season drive. This is the way you thank your Vassar Sullivan team. What are you going to do next for him? Well, hopefully win a watch in a week's time, but uh, honestly, I just, I can't thank Jimmy Sully, the entire Vassar Racing and Lexus Racing organization. I mean, pretty special to come here. Uh, obviously, I've got the weight off my shoulders. I've got a full-time drive, so that was just about going out and having fun, and uh, it's amazing what happens when you have fun. Our Lexus RCF is a rocket ship this weekend, and uh, we just need to keep it at the front for 24 hours. So can't thank the crew enough on the 12 side. I mean, they've made me feel at home. I moved to Mooresville uh, this offseason, so 
I've spent a lot of time with them and, and the entire group from the mechanics all the way up to uh, the C-level guys on the team. Everybody's made me feel at home and, and that's what happens when you're at home. Now you won a six hour race last year. You just have to do four of those back to back to back to back this time. Uh, what are you thinking for Daytona? Well, I still have a lot to learn as the car lead. I mean, I've got to close some stints. I've got to figure a lot of stuff out. So really this week, obviously we've got a fast car. No mistakes on my side. Do whatever I can to win this race and then just build on it for the entire season. Uh, we've got the, the championship symbol on our shoulder and we need to make sure that the 12 is up to snuff as well on that. Uh, the 14 has done their part. Now it's time for the 12. Kind of Canadian temperatures out today. Uh, how did that help the Lexus? Well, it helped me. <laughs> Obviously, uh, being Canadian, I'm used to sub temperatures this time of year. So uh, I'm right at home. Half the time I was in a, a vest and a short sleeve shirt this week. So no problem on our side. But our Lexus does normally like cold weather too. And I think that shows today. I know the race is going to be hotter. And it looks like there's some varial conditions next week. So uh, I got a pull flag, but I don't have a, a thing that keeps time. And that's what everybody wants when you come to Daytona. So... That's our focus. Good luck. Thank you very much. Parker Thompson on Paul in GTD with the Lexus. Uh, that is a cracking event for him. Remember, he was the uh, Porsche Carrera Cup champion a couple of years ago, but was two weeks too old to go to the Young Driver shootout. Uh, let's carry on with our pool sitters. And if we're someone else is too old for the Young Driver shootout. Who else was too old? Me. Ben Keating. Oh, yeah. Well, very good. I, see you, I was going to say yes. Mind, that probably wouldn't stop him having a goal and probably doing very well. Let's carry on in the uh, in the order in which they qualified. United Autosports back for a full season. Ben Keating doing the qualifying and sticking it on Paul and LMP2. 14 pole positions earned by yourself, Ben Keating. This is your third consecutive at Daytona. If we go back to 2020, 2023, now 2024, you keep having to work harder and harder to get these poles, though. Is that what you're living for right now? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I I, I love this place. I've, I, for some reason, I've always been quick here. Uh, and, uh, you know, you... Uh, you love the tracks that love you, you know, and uh, so I, I really enjoy racing here and qualifying here. Uh, uh, it was much closer than I anticipated it would be. You know, last night I did a couple different mock uh, qualifying sessions, and uh, I did the at that time I did the fastest lap of any driver in our car, and I ended the last you know yesterday afternoon session faster than any driver in any LMP2 car, the top of the charts with my lap time and I thought man that's as good as it gets I thought if I could mimic that again today that uh, uh, nobody could touch it I went seven tenths of a second quicker in quali and I mean I I, I thought we should just hang it up you know uh, uh, it doesn't get any better than that and Nick Bull was one tenth of a second behind me I couldn't believe it. You know, George Kurtz was uh, after him, and uh, but everybody went quicker. The track is really fast right now. You know, uh, everybody's hitting the limiter with that tailwind going down the front straight, uh, and uh, just a really fast track. And uh, I'm grateful to have uh, come out on top. Every year when you get to drive multiple cars in different classes, you seem to pick up little tidbits. But this time with GTP, it's more of a spaceship than ever before. What have you learned that's helped you with this pole? So uh, that's interesting. Uh, you're right. I do tend to pick up 
a lot of things that help me in both cars when I'm typically in two different cars. Uh, where I was struggling in the P2 car was in the bus stop. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw it on television or not, but I had a big moment there. Yeah, I was up about a tenth of a second going into the bus stop. We talked about the, the, the headwind having so much downforce that it would be almost impossible to screw it up. And so I just decided to send it, and it didn't work out very well. Uh, uh, it would have been a really good lap, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was not to be. And, uh, uh, but I was struggling with the bus stop with the LMP2 and the GTP Porsche with JDC Miller. It just glides over those bumps so well. And it really helped me to be more confident going into the bus stop, braking later, you know, uh, uh, you know, working on which which curbs to run over and which curbs to avoid and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I really feel like that did make a big difference in qualifying today. Well, as you can hear, GTP is on track for qualifying right now. So I'll let you run and pay attention to uh, where your other car is qualifying. Yeah. Good luck in the race. Awesome. Thank you, Shay. Uh, ben Keating with Sheer Adam there. Pole position for the Mission Foods United Autosport LMP2 Orica. Uh, so that leaves us with pole position for the race at the weekend. number of you said, including Wright Turnover, just before we play this, he says, this is a bit odd, isn't it? That you've already qualified and we're not even in race week. It would be it would be like as if LM24, the Mon24 quality was during the last 30 minutes of test day. If you remember RTL, we had a 100-minute race for qualifying uh, not so very long ago, and it's it's sort of been a hangover from that. They decided not to have the race, but kept it on the weekend. I think the reason is because everybody's here anyway, because it's a test weekend for the Raw. They have to be here. It's mandatory for the for the um, WeatherTech Championship cars. So the the feel they might as well you know make something of it. And what it does do, and the teams have said this to me actually, they were looking very relaxed this morning, talking to the guys from Reese and United and one or two others whilst we were having breakfast. All they've got to do is worry about their race cars. So now they are working towards a race setup and getting everybody comfortable in the car. And they don't have to break that up with a qualifying session sometimes on either Thursday or Friday. So anyway. Uh, the driver who will lead them round on Saturday to the green flag uh, without, as RTL notes, a, a warm-up. That's something else that has been missing here from a few years, for a few years now. For the 62nd running of the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona will be people Durrani. Well, you've had eight other pole positions, Pippo Durrani, but anything ever like this before? Well, it's uh, special. Daytona, it's uh, it's the one that was missing. We started here on pole, but when, when we had uh, the race to decide, so this is uh, definitely special, especially because I was just told it was a lab record. So it's nice, you know, it's uh, hard work that comes from last year, uh, trying to improve the little things that we missed last year. We still had two pole positions last year, but um, to start the year like this, it's uh, it's very special. So yeah, really happy with the, with the car they've given me. Um, I think the car looks great as usual, but it's even better when it's quick. So uh, great to be starting the year like that. And it's also kind of cool because by winning pole, you've now got 35 points, meaning you're the championship leader coming off of a championship winning season. So maintaining that at least for another week as well. Yeah, let's try and maintain that uh, <laughs> the furthest we can. But uh, yeah, try not to think about points at the moment. It's so early. We saw how last year went with five guys fighting for the championship. But of course, it's always good to, to, to start and to stay up front. And 
um, yeah, just happy, gonna enjoy the moment, and in a few days we're back at uh, back at uh, race mode, and it's a long one, so it doesn't mean much, but for the team and for our partners, it's great to be starting on pole. Were you giving 95% in qualifying? I mean, is there more in the car for the race when you need it? I gave 110% <laughs> for qualifying, so uh, we'll see about that. Congrats, people. Thank you. Pete Mutterani uh, starting off as he ended, starting off this year as he ended off last year, being very quick indeed in the Whelan Engineering 31 at Cadillac. Uh, out on the circuit at the moment, we have the Michelin Challenge. It's Carbon Motorsport who are leading in the GS category at the moment. Everybody's coming to the pits actually, and I've just looked up and it, it looked like there might have been a little splash. Uh, splasher in there, 153.4, random vandals in second with a 153.6, 153.8 for the turn of BMW in third, and 153.9 for Stephen Cameron Motorsport in fourth, and in TCR, it's KMW Motorsport, the Alfa Romeo that leads with a 57.5, Montreal uh, Motorsport with a 57.9, and Brian Herter Autosport in there. Hyundai a 158.3 that's going on at the moment and we will have coverage live tomorrow of the practice qualifying and do we have a master race tomorrow? I think we do. We do. Uh, I'm, I am being nodded at, yeah. Um, 29 cars went out for Mazda today and uh, they all got times and they'll be back out again later on this afternoon. Uh, 107.9 WDIS around the circuit and of course... RS2 IMSA Radio. It's Channel 202, by the way, uh, on Sirius XM uh, at the weekend for the big race. They've let us know nice and early. Not that Tim will be, uh, not that Nick will be tuned into that. He'll be on first wave getting his fix of <laughs> 1980s alternative music. Oh, yes. Oh, sounds good. Uh, when you say 80s What's alternative, are we talking about uh, Flock of Seagulls? Uh, Depeche mode, that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. All of the above. All of uh, wishing. Yes. I had a photograph of you. In fact, uh, anyway, the website is wishing it had a photograph of you because mm. your your photograph is still missing, but never mind. My photograph is so many years old, but I need a new photograph, one where I look um, less chopped out and <laughs> like a small sort of pig, which you seem to have me. Well, it's funny you should say that because apparently you're getting new uh, f- uh, headshots, aren't you? Are we? No? I'm I sure, I'm sure you've I'm mentioned not... that. It's very much an Eve conversation. <laughs> Uh, the other person we haven't got a photograph for is Peter Mackay. And uh, at the start of the show, we sent him out to find some people to talk to. And now he has found someone to talk to because he's with Earl Bamba. Pete. So we've, uh, we've spoken to a few drivers so far this, uh, this week, but we've got uh, one of the big stories here for this week's uh, Rolex 24. Earl Bamba, Corvette racing driver. I need to get used to that for us in the Coventry booth there. Earl, tell us about your impressions of this new C8 GT3 car. You've seen a lot of great cars over your career. What are your first impressions of this machine? Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to see Corvette bring their first uh, GT3 um, to this platform. I think they've been working on it for for a long, long time. And I've obviously raced against Pratt & Miller um, and Corvette products for many years in in the GT uh, LM days. And uh, they had quite the reputation for beating us. So... 
um, it's really cool to jump in that car. Um, you know, the guys have been fantastic. They work really, really hard at what they do. And I think they've brought, you know, a new game to what is GT3 racing. And, you know, how much of a transfer is there from the, the GTLM side, the GT3? You know, there is, obviously the rules are different, but how much can you bring over from the old car? To be honest, I've got no idea. Because I, <laughs> uh, well, I, didn't, I didn't drive the old car. Um, but, you know, I think if you have a look at the class in general, a lot of these cars are mini GTE cars now. Yes. Um, mm. You know, the the Aston Martin is a little bit like that, the Porsche. Um so I think they've bought over a, a lot of it. Um, it feels fantastic. I mean, when you drive it, it feels great behind the wheel. Um, you know, it's got a lot of cool stuff. And, and I really liked it from the day one that I, I drove it in Road America now in, in August. And this is kind of part of your, your job this weekend with Corvette. It's part of a, a, a great new era of your career um, with General Motors, obviously racing the Cadillac and the prototype as well. Tell us about how that came about because... For so many of us, you've been so synonymous with other with another brand in the past. Tell us how that opportunity came about to make the switch to, to GM. Actually, um, I I got an Instagram message from Scott Dixon. Um, Scott Dixon slid into your DMs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and and said, hey, um, Chip and and those guys want to have a chat with you about um, potentially joining them for a, a project with the DPI, um, which obviously then was the Cadillac project. So that's how I, you know, came about was um, through Scott Dixon's DM. Um, and, and it all happened really quick. And when you get a phone call from from Chip Ganassi, there's a, a few guys you want to dream of racing for your, for in your career. And one of them is, is Chip Ganassi. I mean, if you have a look how successful they are in sports car racing and also IndyCar racing, um, you know, it's one of those guys you've got to drive for. And it's been a real honor to drive for him um, for these last few years. And then, um, obviously, we're just running one car here this weekend with, with Chip Ganassi with the Cadillac. And, um, you know, the guys, because it's all one big family, the, the guys from um, Corvette Racing said, hey, do you guys want to jump into um, one of our cars? Because, obviously, Alex, my teammate's also here this weekend and mm -hmm. said, sure, why not? I'm still hunting a Rolex. Um, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to give it our best shot. You've you mentioned you know you mentioned in the past you know driving against Corvette and them being so difficult to beat. You you've raced at the factory level for so long now. What are your initial observations about how they work and how is it different to what you've seen in the past in, in your experience so far with Corvette? Uh, less meetings. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, no jokes aside. There's um, I think there there's just a lot of real races at the Corvette level with, okay. you know, Pratt and Miller. They're a, a solid group. They're a young group as well. Um, that all just love going racing. And, you know, when you get a great group of racers together, it makes everything a lot easier to, to go win races. Um, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit less corporate um, than, the other, than the other side. So I think that plays to their advantage very much so. And, of course, you've got kind of two careers going on at once. You've got your driving career as, as, as successful as ever, but also running a, a team as well. How on earth do you balance that to, to be able to do that and do the, and drive at the professional level as well? Actually, I'm, to be honest, I'm really lucky that I've got an awesome group of people behind that mm -hmm. run that for me okay. um, on the ground and operationally. And I've always said to myself, like, I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a team manager. So if I need to go team manager, engineer, or mechanic for my own team, I've got something seriously wrong. Um, right. So, but, you know, we're, with my own team, what I'm lucky is I see from a manufacturer level 
what they are doing, their new things that they're implementing. And then we try to throw that into what we're doing with our customer racing program. You know, at the end, we're with that side, we're still customer racing. We're not like at a factory level, but we try to implement as much as we can from a high level back down into that. Um, so we've had some quite good success so far. Um, so that's a, it's something that I, I really enjoy. Um, it's slowly, I would say, accidentally getting bigger um, because it was originally just supposed to be Asia. And then through COVID, we started Australia and then Australia has gone really well and it's, it's its own wing. And then also accidentally through COVID, we started Europe and then Europe started with one car. Now it's a couple cars over there racing all around the world. And now Asia started again. So, you know, it's, um, I always say it got accidentally big, but that's that's the joys of racing and life. You've got to take those risks and, and it's a good fun journey. And I guess it's demand led. You would only go and race in places where you've got customer demand. Exactly, so. exactly. And tell us about Macau, because I know Macau is special to you. It's a racetrack like there's nothing else in the world. What was it like with your own team when you're going right in between the walls in your own car and it's all down to you and if it goes wrong, it's 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 all on you. Is that a different uh, experience as a driver or is it still... No, I have insurance. It's okay. Ring it, ring it covered that. Um, <laughs> Hope he did you a deal. Yeah, he did actually. Um, no, he's, he's got a great little insurance company there which we actually insure all of our cars with. So, um, But no, actually, it was good fun. Um Ironically, I just jumped out of the Corvette and then went straight over there with that. And I was like, um, when I drove the 992, I was like, oh my God, what is this thing? I need to put it in the wall straight away because I'm not the biggest fan of the 992 and what they've produced there. Um, but anyway, that's another whole thing. But um, yeah, it was really cool. It was great to be back there. Definitely want to go back there in 2024. Um, is it? Yeah, four already. Um, trying to talk to the Corvette folks to, to bring one over there. That, that would be cool. That is very cool. Because um, I think it would be a fantastic car around that track. And um, you know, it'd be cool to try to do something with those folks and, and get first win. There's one that's eluded me, like this place, Daytona. And it keeps bringing you back. Exactly. I guess that's, that's, exactly. that's the part. I mean, one thing that didn't elude you last year, and it was my personal highlight of, of, of the season, was the Nürburgring 24 C Frickadelli win. And you were on the winning team. Just tell us about what that experience was like, because I think it was emotional for a lot of people around the sport. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think being able to bring a new car there um, and do it with Klaus, who's tried for, for so many years, um, and to finally sort of get that first win for him, I think was a, a huge relief for, for everyone. I mean, for myself, I'd been trying since for eight years, um, you know, with Porsche and... Yeah, for the first couple of years, I didn't even drive in the night. We kept crashing, you know, <laughs> teammates. Um, and then we got the the year we got disqualified with the engine um, from second place. That was, and we were leading, got the penalty, and then got disqualified. So, you know, it'd been sort of this this love hate relationship with that place because it's so amazing to go drive there. And then to to jump in the Ferrari and to have Klaus come over as well was just uh, phenomenal and. I think just really nice for the whole sport, you know, it'd been dominated that place so much by big manufacturer teams, you know, the big German manufacturers. And it was nice that I would call it one of the the little teams or the local teams could still go win that race. And I think it's good for motorsport and it's good for that whole region to show that you can still show up and you can still fight these big guys, um, you know, with the right preparation and the right equipment. So I think it was really cool for everybody. And 
Frickadelli are known for a team that they, they work hard, they put a professional effort, but they play hard too. Was the, the, how was the party afterwards? The party was really good. I mean, uh, <laughs> if everyone knows, um, if anyone knows the saloon, it was uh, it was a great party. And I think, um, I mean, I've driven for Klaus for many years, and he's always said that if if we win, we take the jet and go down to Ibiza. And unfortunately, I had to go to a WC race, but I know he took the whole team down there, um, and that's what the guy that he is. You know, um, it was special for the whole crew. Are we going to see you back this year? Yeah, I hopefully I'll be back in something there. Fingers crossed. Yep. Fingers crossed. And are we going to see Corvette making their way to the Nurburgring? There's been a bit of talk about it. Now you got to ask Christy. Okay, okay. Well, I will do. Final question before we let you go, because it's a busy week here uh, at Daytona. I mean, tell us about the the plan for the race. The testing appears to have gone well. Where do you think you are, and and what the, what the targets for the for the weekend? I mean, I think the, the target is pretty obvious, clear yeah. um, and obvious. Everyone asks that, what's the goal? And yeah, I think win. everyone comes here to win. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the testing's gone well um, for us. Obviously, it's a new car. It's a new thing for, you know, Corvette to have customers, but it also seems like they're going really, really strong. Mm. Um, and I think probably it's going to be in stages for us. So I think goal one is going to be see the morning with no issues, see where you lie up, keep the car nice and clean, you know, keep it in a good condition. And then in the morning, it's going to be about positioning yourself for that last six hours mm -hmm. and go racing hard. So, you know, there's a lot of cars. There's a lot of competitive cars. I mean, the field is world-class and phenomenal. You look left and right and there's, you know, people that have won everything around the world in GT racing. So I think it's going to be spectacular in, in what we're doing. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be two stages and, and hopefully we're there in the morning and we're going to go for a race. We've got Nikki and, and Tommy who have been great teammates so far. So, you know, I think we've, we're in good hands on, on our car. We've just got to circumnavigate the whole race, which is difficult. You know, um, everyone talks about last year, the big topic for us at like Cadillac was reliability. Yeah. And, mm. um, you know, I think we, we proud ourselves on being very reliable. Um, if it was actually a normal WEC race, um, our car would have won because we had no issues. Um, we ran clean. Mm -hmm. And I think that's you know something that's super important for, for endurance racing. But at the same time, last year we had the DPI, the following year we had the DPI car, well-known car, done the race a million times, and we had an issue and we had to, and we had to box. So even if these cars are well-known for years, it's still called 24-hour racing, and it's still a motor race and nothing's guaranteed. So. You know, that's why we come back year after year is to take on the challenge and you never know what's going to happen in one of these races. It could go perfect or it could all go wrong and then we'll come back again. I think that's what brings us all back, fans and, and drivers and teams alike. Well, Earl, it's just fantastic to see you enjoying this new era of your career and I wish you all the success, not just for here at the Rolex 24, but for the rest of the year as well. Cool. Thank you. Alabama talking to uh, Peter Mackay there. More from Peter uh, in the second hour of the show. And John, uh, Nürburgring at the moment is closed for the winter. They're doing some resurfacing uh, around the uh, foxhole and uh, of the pit exit. Uh, but do you know what the first event, once it reopens after its winter break, yes, will be? Are you sure there, John? Hello, John. Oh, we seem to have lost John, unfortunately. Uh, let's ask Nick Damon the, first, the same question. 
uh, when the Nürburgring reopens after its winter break on March the 16th, what's the first event going to be? Um, <laughs> is it going to be? Well, I don't know, because it shouldn't be a VLM race, should it? But that's all up in the air, isn't it? Uh, they haven't got their dates yet, uh, but we know that there will be six VLN races uh, during 2024. Uh, is it a stage rally? It's not. Think yeah. uh, think of uh, a sport that you would not normally associate with uh, the Nürburgring. Table tennis. Bicycles. It's not bicycles. Uh, it's not table it's tennis. Um, there is Water a ta- polo. There is a table involved... Uh, but snooker. It's not snooker. Pool. No. Billiards. No. It, the the table is really just uh, for them to put their drinks on while they're playing. Darts. 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 It's the Nürburgring Darts Gala. Starts March the 16th. Wow. Why are we not involved in that? Oh, well, actually, I'll be at Sebring. So, so that's why you're, you're um, busy. Um, if you... Uh, what is the term of 180? Whilst we're on the Nürburgring. 180. Uh, we're... Talk about the Nürburgring. If you want to do the 24 hours, um, you need a licence. And there have been changes to the requirements of that licence, John. There have, and it's significant, actually, because um, it highlights the issues around the Nürburgring Langstreet Series and the Nürburgring Enduring Series, for which neither of those championships for which we have a calendar for next year. They really need to extract digits and get it sorted out. Um, I think we talked about uh, a collaboration of teams writing in to both parties and to the marshals to say what they felt needed to be done. It needed to be six or seven events for VLN for 2024. Um, The DSMB, which is the uh, German... Motorsport Federation, indeed, have made some significant changes to the licensing requirements. And and the reason I think that this is significant is twofold. They're not really making it easy. They are, in some respect, easier. You've still got to go on your course and do the course to get your basic permit for the Nürburgring, and that allows you to drive cars up to a certain a power output, but to drive the big cars, the SP9s, the GT3s around there, you've got to do a certain amount of time on the on the circuit. That's been changed. It's actually been reduced. The requirement to do a certain time has been taken away. You've just got to do it, basically not uh, get any penalties or upset the stewards, which is very similar to how you do your license upgrades in the UK. Um, when you crunch the numbers... And this was made, um, a point that was made to me a couple of days ago, and now it makes perfect sense. It means, Nick, that anybody coming in from SRO and Nürburgring 24. Oh, looks like we've lost. I'll never John know what that question there. was. Never, never know, unfortunately. Um, tourist laps, obviously, very popular at the uh, Nürburgring and the first date you can get a tourist lap is the 17th of March which is the day after the darts so um, is that because they're worried that the darts might like fly over the track and puncture tyres I'd hope not you'd have think, thought that uh, particularly in March they'd be doing the darts indoors wouldn't you I think you always do darts indoors because of the wind mm. 
Yes. I never actually thought about that. Uh, it was it's... for a while. When darts was super popular, do you remember there was a dart, was, was, you could get the, an output of darts where they stood a bit further away? No. Yeah, there was a, no. they, they did these tournaments Sorry where there was, that, it was like, it was like in some pubs in some part, of the, I, can't, I, I, must, I don't know what the standard distance is. Say, say the standard distance was 10 feet. It was other places where it was like 13. So it was like long distance darts was on television for a while. Uh, John's back with us. So can he finish that question and then answer it? Where did you get up to with me before I lost the internet you went, again? Hey, Nick. Yeah. If And then you mentioned something about um, SRO, but we didn't get the rest what, of the what, question. What was the question? No, you didn't hear it, because you were asking me. <sighs> right. <laughs> All right. So, SRO, IG, ICGT, is, is, has a round that's part of the Nürburgring this year. Um, it means... And I think we've lost John again, uh, so we shall uh, wait wobbly. with bated breath to find out uh, what uh, he uh, is trying to explain to us about uh, the SRO competitors at the Nürburgring 24 Hours. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Well, hopefully the uh, the end of that point from John and a lot more from John and uh, our team at Daytona. Uh, we're also going to be hearing uh, some more uh, driver interviews uh, ahead of this weekend's uh, Daytona 24 Hours. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a preview of the other 24-hour race that we're covering this weekend because here on RS1, uh, it's Dubai's turn to host a 24-hour race, the final uh, of the three-round uh, Middle East series in the Hancock-Creventic 24-hour series. But next, uh, Peter Mackay has returned and he will be talking to us about the new season of the WRC. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com For many in the motorsport world, it's a long bleak, dark winter where we yearn for the springtime to come so that we can get back out to the track and enjoy the sport that we love so much. But in rallying, it's a slightly different scenario. Just over two months ago, we closed off the 2023 season at Forum 8 Rally Japan, and yet here we are on the eve of the 2024 season for the iconic Rally Monte Carlo. And we sit on the cusp of what is an intriguing 2024 season in the World Rally Championship. There's much discussion in the sport with lots of changes coming around, with drivers moving, talk about rule sets, all new rallies this year, everything going on. And I think this is going to be one of the most significant seasons in the modern history of the sport. By far the biggest story through the off-season is most certainly Cali Rovin Perra's shock decision to not come back and defend his two World Rally Championships. The 23-year-old will still be a presence in the World Rally Championship with him running a limited number of rallies, starting at Rally Sweden, but because he's not running a full season, he won't be able to defend his title. Now, this was a big shock to many rally fans around the world. Maybe not so much to people in the service part, but it was certainly a shock uh, around the world. Why is that? Well, you look at a driver of 23 years old to say that they're stepping 
back at really the peak of their powers is quite a shock decision, much like we saw with Nico Rosberg when he won the F1 title in 2016. But much like Nico, Cali, his entire life has been dedicated to his craft. At the age of eight, he drove a rally car for the first time, competed in his first rally at the age of 12, and by the age of 16, he was Latvian champion in a Skoda R5. So everything about Cali Rovan Perra's career has been on fast forward. It's been at full intensity. And he's got to the point where the life of a full-time World Rally Championship driver in a factory team has come to be just a little bit too much. And big, big respect to Cali for making that decision to say, OK, we're going to take a little bit of a step back and hopefully return at the full-time level in the future. He signed a multi-year deal with the Toyota World Rally team with a view to return to full-time competition in the future. So big story, defending champion not returning. But what does that mean for the rest of the service part? Well, it means opportunity. And when you look at the, the, the moves in the service part, the biggest one by far is Oik Tanak returning to the Hyundai World Rally Team. Oik is always an intriguing character to follow. He won the World Championship in 2019 in emphatic fashion with six wins with the Toyota World Rally Team, but then made the shock decision to move to Hyundai. And after two years with Hyundai, he'd scored just two World Rally wins, so it wasn't going very well. And yet, in 2022, the Estonian turned it around with a win in Ypres, in Finland and in Sardinia. And you'd think, OK, here we go. But no, at that point, he decided to move yet again to the M Sport Ford World Rally Team for the 2023 season. On his second rally out, he wins in Sweden. But by the time we get towards the end of the season, despite a win in Chile, Oitanak was on the move again. And he is signed for the 2024 season with the Hyundai team. So it's certainly been a roller coaster a uh, few years for Oit Tanak. Yes, there have been wins, but there's been no real firm championship chase. And you can be sure that the tenacious Estonian will be desperate to score that uh, to score that second world title. And with Kali Rovenpera not taking part on a full time basis this year, who's to say that he can't do that? One of the biggest uh, storylines out with of driver moves in the World Rally Championship is the newly designed point system, perhaps the biggest change in the championship regulations since the power stage was brought in many years ago to award points for the fastest driver on the final stage of a rally. The new point system effectively splits how points are awarded, so there's points awarded up until Saturday night, the penultimate day of the rally, and then extra points Uh, given out on the Sunday. The theory behind this is effectively because at some rallies where you've got, you come into the final day and the field are a little bit spread out and you might have a driver who's got a big gap behind them or uh, a big gap ahead of them that they can't catch up and they will effectively slow the pace down to either get to the end of the rally safely or to preserve tyre life for a big push in the final power stage where there's extra points awarded. Now, that, of course, doesn't make for great uh, entertainment, certainly not the entertainment of a driver pushing at maximum attack, which is one of the most compelling sights in all of motorsports. So 
this is what the WRC promoter and the FIA have come up with to try and put a bit of spice and a bit of excitement into Sundays. Now, it's it's as all as these things always do. It's got a mixed reaction up to now, but we will not know whether this works or not until we get really into the meat of the 2024 World Rally Championship season. There is a provision within the regulations to make changes if necessary, but let's see if they'll be necessary or not. Returning this year for yet another season are the Toyota and Hyundai World Rally teams alongside the semi-private M Sport Ford team. The Toyota team, they come into 2024 really as the big favourites. They have the momentum behind them. They've just won two world championships with Cali Rovenpera and from a manufacturer point of view, they are, they've got the edge in terms of results as well. Their Toyota Yaris GR Rally 1 has not only got immense speed, it's got fantastic reliability, making it a potent combination. The other thing that Toyota bring to the 2024 season is a consistent approach. They've got the same similar management, same similar car, and more importantly, a similar driver lineup. Elvin Evans will lead the team into 2024, and this is a great opportunity for the Welshman. Before uh, now, it's really been the attention, it's really been around Cali Rovenpera, but I believe that Elvin Evans comes into the 2024 season as the absolute finished package. He's come close to winning the World Championship in the past a couple of times, but this year, I think he comes together as the real deal. Three wins last season, two of which on tarmac and one at the iconic Rally Finland. The only slight caveat to this is that Elvin, unfortunately, had a mountain bike accident in the winter, so has had a little bit of time uh, to recover. I don't believe he's fully recovered yet, but I'm sure once he gets into the car, he will be a formidable force. He will be joined by the ever-happy Japanese driver Takamoto Katsuta, who can have bursts of pace at the rallies which he enjoys. But when you look at the part-time drivers who will share a third car in the Toyota World Rally team for 2024. You have Sebastian Ogier, eight-time world champion and nine-time Monte Carlo winner, and Cali Rovenpera, the youngest world rally champion in history. This is a, such a potent combination for Toyota because they can basically place either of these drivers in the rallies that suit them. For Cali Rovenpera, Rally Monte Carlo is certainly not his favourite, for Sebastian Ogier, it certainly is his favourite. So that is something that Toyota have up their sleeve where they can deploy the drivers on the rallies that they enjoy. So coming into Rally Monte Carlo, it will be Elvin Evans, Takamoto Katsuta and Sebastian Ogier lining up for the Japanese factory. Now, the big challenger, of course, is Hyundai. They've been in the World Rally Championship for over a decade now, have built some great cars and have been very loyal to the sport yet they are still yearning for that driver's title. And that all has come down to, really come down to Thierry Neuville uh, over that time. He has been very loyal to the Hyundai factory and vice versa. And he's come very close to scoring that first, that elusive world driver's title, but he hasn't quite got it done yet. With Cali Rovenpera absent, this is the best chance that the Belgian will have to score that elusive 
world driver's title. He's one of very few drivers to break the Sebastian Auger and Sebastian Loeb stronghold in the mountains above Monte Carlo when he won the event in 2020. So he will come into this uh, come into this event with a huge amount of energy and desire behind him. And I think a lot of that desire will come from his new teammate, Oit Tanak, who I'm sure will be making his life very difficult out on the stages in terms of speed. How will that relationship gel in the, uh, within the team? That is a question yet to be answered. It didn't quite work the first time. Let's see if it works on this second occasion. Now, Hyundai, they've taken a different approach to their part-time drivers. They've got three part-time drivers on their roster. Esapeka Lapa, who has one rally win to his name uh, in the World Rally Championship when he won Finland in dramatic fashion in 2017. Danny Sordo, the ever-experienced Danny Sordo, a three-time winner in the World Championship, and the returning Andreas Mikkelsen. Now, Andreas Mikkelsen, was one of the stars of the uh, Volkswagen World Rally programme until it ended very abruptly at the end of 2017. And it really, it's, Andreas's career has never truly recovered from that, uh, from that closure of that programme. He did have a brief spell at the Hyundai World Rally team, but unfortunately lost his seat. But rather than give up, he stepped down to the European Championship level, won that title, and then won two WRC2 support championships as well. So Andreas Mickelson comes into 2024 with a lot to prove, both to the service park and I think to, to himself as well, to prove that he can still do it, he still has the pace, and I'm fascinated to see how Andreas will get on in this new breed of top-level Rally 1 hybrid. Now, M Sport, they return once again with a little support from Ford Performance for the 2024 season, but they return without a star driver. They had Oit Tanak last year, which managed to get two wins uh, for them from that alliance, but this year they return with two promising young drivers. Gregoire Munster makes his full-time debut in the World Rally Championship, and Adrian Formo, who returns after a year stepping back from the top level. Two years ago, uh, Adrian Formo had had his kind of rally, big Rally 1 World Rally Championship opportunity, but it was kind of littered with little errors and mistakes and things like that that really put his uh, career chances back a little bit. But in 2023, he stepped back. He competed in the British Rally Championship, winning that in convincing fashion, and competed at the front of the WRC2 Championship as well. So Adrian Formo is a real unknown. What is he going to do in that Rally 1 Puma? For him, he's really just got to get rally finishes, keep banking points, keep getting that car to the end of the rally. He's had too many non-finishes uh, in the past in the Rally 1 category, so he's really got to set that right. So those are your full-time Rally 1 uh, lineups, if you if you like, but that is not all there is to look at in the World Rally Championship. There is a huge wave of talent coming up through a very particular pathway in the global rallying sphere. This year, we have a record entry in the WRC Junior category where the champion of the WRC Juniors gets uh, effectively a prize drive in the WRC 2 category for the following year. Furthermore, the European Rally Championship, which is looked after by the same promoter, if you win the European Championship Juniors, you get a prize drive to go up to the World Championship. So there's a great pathway 
of opportunity to get up to the top of the sport. Now, as always in any round of the World Rally Championship, there is a huge entry of Rally 2 cars competing for honours in the WRC2 category. And Rally Monte Carlo is no uh, is no exception. But the big story in the, uh, in the WRC2 category is the debut of the Toyota GR Yaris Rally 2. And this car has been hotly tipped to challenge the might of Skoda. Skoda really have had the control over the Rally 2, previously known as R5 category, for many, many years now. Yes, they've been challenged by Citroen and Ford and Volkswagen to to a degree as well, but Skoda have really been the 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 manufacturer on top and have sold over 500 uh, chassis of their Fabia Rally 2 cars, an incredible uh, number. So they are a formidable force, but Toyota have really thrown the kitchen sink at it. And everything I hear about this new Toyota Rally 2 is very, very positive indeed. When they took the car endurance testing and went to a very rough testing gravel road, they tried to break the car for two days and and failed. Uh, so the car is reportedly very, very reliable and should be quick as well. We have f- not, no less than four of these cars debuting at Rally Monte Carlo in the hands of Sami Prihari, Stéphane Lefebvre, Brian Bouffier and Jan Solen. And when you look at Brian Bouffier, he's won the event overall before and Stéphane Lefebvre is a wizard on tarmac as well. So don't be surprised to see that new Toyota Rally 2 win on its debut. But what can we expect from this year's Monte Carlo? Monte Carlo is known for being very much a a mixed surface uh, event. Underneath there's tarmac, but often you'll get ice, you get snow, you get rain, and always choosing tyres has been the, the, the difference to winning Monte Carlo or not. And that's where drivers like Sebastian Ogier and Sebastian Loeb, who know the geography of the area so well, have been and can drive the surface better than anyone else, have been so dominant at this rally. That's what a true Monte is all about. This year, we definitely have something different in prospect. We've got unusually high temperatures for this year, so that the likelihood of getting any icy patches at all is quite slim. It's likely that we are going to see a bare tarmac rally, whether that be dry tarmac or wet tarmac will will be remain to be seen. But the chance of having ice or snow at this year's Monte Carlo is uh, is is very unlikely. Looking at the weather forecast at this point in time. What do the drivers have up ahead of them? Well, they have two stages in the evening on Thursday night. Always fantastic atmosphere with loads of fans there with flares and all kinds of uh, all kinds of hilarity and creates a great start to the event. Then Friday and Saturday, six stages on each day and then three stages to finish off on Sunday, completing 324 competitive kilometres. Now, this rally should, on one point, normally when we come out of Monte Carlo, we normally don't really get a feeling for the overall order uh, of performance um, because often with the with the icy and snowy conditions, it really does make it a little bit of a lottery in some cases. But with it being a, looking like it's going to be a dry tarmac rally, we will get a feeling of who has certainly got the pace on tarmac heading into this 2024 season. It's going to be... 
I think, really intriguing, really interesting. There are some negative stories being written about the sport at the moment. And personally, I think they can be uh, a little bit unfair at times. I think we've got loads to get our teeth into in the uh, 2024 season. And if you want to follow all of the action in the UK, I believe there's a, a TV package with TNT Sport. But I highly, highly recommend, if you're a rally fan, sign up to WRC all live. You get to watch every single stage uh, of every single rally with insight in the studio in between stages. It's an all-day affair. So if rallying is your thing, get on to there. And Bex Williams and all of the, the team do a super job at bringing the rally to you and really making you feel like uh, like you're there. So if you're a fan and you've never tried WRC All Live, I, I can't recommend it enough. And I can't wait to see who's going to win the first round of the 2024 season. Thank you, Peter Mackay, uh, with that so preview of the, of the uh, NASCAR, uh, sorry, NASCAR, WRC season. I'm just thinking NASCAR because I'm reading about NASCAR at the moment. Uh, John, are you back with us? Is he gone again? I think he's gone again. I think we thought we had him back. He's gone again. Um... One more time, John, are you there? No. Uh, Nick Damon is still with us, though. You're not a fan of uh, WRC, so you won't be subscribing uh, to uh, WRC Plus, will you? There's a vast number of things we'll be subscribing to, I'm, I, and that's one of them. Uh, the reason I got confused and uh, mentioned NASCAR just now was because NASCAR has changed uh, its qualifying procedures for the Cup Series this year. Really? Yes. You said, didn't they just like, go on the previous day and just go around to do a couple of fast laps on their own, wasn't it? Uh, previously, cars... Well, there's two... They split into two groups. Right. Um, and the fastest five from each group uh, advance to the pole round, which sets the top ten. That hasn't changed, but positions 11 to 40 have changed. So previously the cars that finished outside the top five in each of those two groups proceeded 11th to 40th based on their fastest lap regardless of which group they were in. Ah. But uh, now uh, cars that do not advance from group A will determine the outside row for starting positions 11 to 40 while the remaining cars from group B will determine the inside row. That's except for Daytona 500, which has its own qualifying procedure, which uh, isn't going to change. No, because they've got shootout races and that sort of stuff. Uh, and this is because of feedback from uh, teams uh, due to uh, the possibility of track condition conditions changing uh, during the course of a qualifying session. So basically what they've done is they've reverted to the Formula 3000 qualifying system from uh, 30 years ago. Well... You know, there's very few things that can't be taught by a Lola B2000, B2, B9, it was. Is it B9250? No, that would have been the uh, 9650. Well, yeah, 9250. Mm. Uh, at that time, a very good car. The 9650 was also a very good car. <laughs> right. Um, uh, there have been a few other NASCAR rule changes, but uh, those are the key ones. Uh, let's see if we can hear John Heintoff now. Can we hear us, John? I don't know if the engine is. 
You can hear some engine noise, can you? Mm-hmm. Hmm, I don't. You're right, there is something there. It's engine noise. Yes, but no no actual John. Uh, that is engine noise from uh, Daytona, though, uh, and uh, we'll be back uh, there in just a moment and get another interview from uh, Peter Mackay, who says he's on his way to find Dirk Muller, so uh, that's... Uh, as you do. <laughs> as you do. Uh, but there's another 24-hour race this weekend, and that is at Dubai. And, Nick, we're going to talk about that uh, for a bit, because we are two rounds into the three yes. rounds of the uh, Middle East series. Uh, and everything is still to play for. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 not all of the teams, obviously, who we saw this weekend at Abu Dhabi also took part in Kuwait. So it's kind of a smaller number of teams are actually um, uh, re- relatively registered. But, of course, the big, in the top categories, we had a bit of a battle, obviously, between Ebi Motors and CP Racing. It was it, it was honours to CP Racing in uh, Kuwait. But Ebi Motors got a couple of positions ahead of them in uh, this race this weekend. Um and that means that they actually take the, the overall GT3 lead uh, going into the final race in uh, in this weekend in Dubai. So the, obviously the, the, the Hankook race itself also applies for a number of other, other championships as well as Middle East Championship. But on the Middle East Championship, it's, it's that CP Ebby meeting that's going on. Um, yeah, you've probably got the other the other cars. I haven't memorised yeah, the other Yeah, eight, eight points between uh, the uh, Manamari Energy by Ebby Motors uh, and CP Racing cars in GT3. Uh, in the uh, GT3 Pro-Am team standings, uh, there's a much bigger gap. I think we can say that Century Motorsport have probably won that because they're 24 points ahead of Car Collection Motorsport. Um, they DQ against a winning class. Yeah, they? it's not it's not impossible. Uh, and then in GT3 Am, CP Racing on 72 points, which is 32 ahead of Baron Motorsport. Um so unless they don't enter, I think uh, they've won that as well. Well, they should get that one. This is the 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 overall one is uh, is up for grabs. I think nine nine two class. That's uh, pretty close. Uh, Red Camel Jordan's on eighty points, and Rabden by Fulgenzi on sixty eight, and Kramer Racing on uh, sixty points. So all three of those could still win that, couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, it'll take a, a non-finish from uh, Red Camels, but that's obviously something that can very much happen at Dubai. Uh, and in the 992 AM, you've got QMMF by HRT on 40 points and Kramer Racing on 40 points as well, and uh, Rabdon by Fulgenzi on 36. So that really is open to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think, think QMF only did one, only did one of the two. No, no, they don't, no, they've all done both rounds, I think. Yeah, because QMF is certainly in the, in, uh, in Q8. So yeah, so it's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's the AM, it's the AM class. Anything can happen again, really, with nine nine two. So you kind of think, yeah, that, that's up, up for grabs. The boys over in, in Dubai are going to have to keep their eyes on about four or five different championships going on. So it's. <laughs> well, the uh, the one that uh, may surprise people is uh, is GTX where. Um, with a brand-new car, uh, Vortex have now taken the lead in that championship. Well, the Vortex is a very, very quick car for GTX. And so, so much, I think, when we get round to like next year, they may have to slow it down. Um, 
they should have very had quick, one. yes, but it, it, historically it hasn't been the most He's, reliable well, car on the grid, has it? Historically, it was unreliable. However, this week, this week it had uh, had a very small problem, didn't it? Yeah, it had a spin. I think it had a spin or a stall, um, and ran the rest of the time to win at Abu Dhabi. Um, at Kuwait, it was going very well, and then it had a small engine fire, unsurprisingly, being thought as we used to be, we were joking, but that only, that only slowed it down. It was still completed again and, and came across the lines. So it got some points. Uh, Toro Verdi, who are, of course, uh, Lawrence Tomlinson's um, yeah. team, unfortunately, they, they, they won the first one. They had a complete non-finish. Yes, uh, engine failure there. So that cost them a, a hunk of points. So they, 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 they probably are the, you know... It, equal favourites with uh, Vortex, but Vortex have already got two finishes. So, again, if Vortex can get the thing to the end um, in, you know, second or third in class, even though, they, to be honest, they got the pace to win it, um, then they will pick up a, a well-deserved trophy victory. Toriver, they still mathematically could win this, despite uh, being third in GTX uh, on 40 points, uh, Vortex on 72 points, leading, as I said, and resume more than racing on 64 points. Uh, yep. GT4. This is definitely the closest one. Century Motorsport uh, with uh, Charlie Robertson, who got that amazing win on the mm-hmm. last lap. Last corner. Last corner. Well, he sort of teed his up on turn nine, didn't he? Uh, is on 76 points. And so is the AGMC racing team by Simpson Motorsport, also on 76 points. Uh, Fabian Battle of the, battle of the BMW. Dufier, yeah. Uh, predict a winner in that one? Uh, no, I can't. No. It's, the, the thing to remember is, of course, that this was the, this, they had quite different teams out, actually, of course, in the six-hour race, the 12-hour race, and have a very, very different team out again uh, this weekend at Dubai with probably five drivers rather than you know, three or four or even two. So it's it's going to be about those driver makeups that's going to be the key point to see. Yeah, because it's often it's it as tends to be, um, it's the weakest link that is is the deciding factor in most of these races. Uh, and both of the CWS Engineering Genetta G55s are battling for the TCX title. Yep, I think they uh, they they that be a Colin White benefit. Yes. Uh, Colin White leads drivers' uh, championship uh, with double as many points as uh, anyone else. Uh, TCE Simpson Motorsport seventy-two points, CWS Engineering sixty-four, and AC Motorsport on forty. Yeah, but I think that's because only AC Motorsport they do have one of the two races. They weren't there's only one, one only one of the, the TCR cars were in uh, Q8. Well, qualifying for the Dubai twenty-four hours starts at. Uh, 10 to 2 local time on Friday afternoon. That's 10.50 a.m. in the UK. Uh, And there's also night practice as well later on uh, that night. There's three lots of qualifying. Qualifying is about three hours. It's just over three hours qualifying. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah, because so they've got the they got qualifying split into obviously each of the you have that three part qualifying they've been doing for a couple of years now. We get three drivers from each car doing a, doing one of the sessions. You aggregate it down to get an overall time, and they got um, they've divided into TC and GT4 going around. They got GTX 992 going around, and finally GT3. So there's a reason we've got a number of cars in each one, but certainly there's a, a lot of stuff to cover. And. Uh... Obviously, there is uh, live coverage of the full 24 hours uh, of that race. 
starting on Saturday morning uh, at uh, 10.35 here on RS1, ahead of a race start. Uh, no, that's not right, is it? Uh, when does the race start? Race starts 12, at 1 o'clock. 12.35, time. so yes, uh, we're on air at 12.35, which is 8.35 in the UK. Uh, on Saturday morning for that full 24 hours of Dubai, the final round of the Middle East Trophy. Uh, now, let's see if we can get back to Peter Mackay. Peter Mackay, have you found Dirk Muller? So, on the eve of the Rolex 24, back here for another year, and I'm here with uh, driver of the brand-new Ford Mustang GT3, Dirk Muller. Dirk, you know racing in America so well. You've had a little... Little breakaway, how does it feel to be back here uh, in IMSA once again? I feel great, uh, coming back to my family. I've spent so much time here uh, in IMSA and ANS, in uh, Grand Am, and um, basically, yeah, I did all the Enduros in 22, and uh, Multimatic had um, something else um, to do with me in uh, 23. So I'm, no, I'm really, I'm fired up. Um, everybody's fired up. Uh, we're really looking forward here. And it's, it's not just a return for you, it's a return for, in my opinion, one of the greatest pairings in sports car history. You and Joey back together once again. In your opinion, what is it that's made you guys so successful and stay together for so long over, over the years? Well, I think, um, you know, like, you know, back in the days, um, they probably, you know, we weren't driving together for a couple of years, probably, but mm -hmm. we were on the same team. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, a genius and a thought about, hey, why, why not bring these two, two together in the car? And um, yeah, what a great move since ever then. I mean, I have my joy back. Um, it's not just a saying like we are good friends. That's for one, um, like, like real good friends. And, um, you know, we, we are riding the same wave. Um, mm -hmm. That is already super important like off track um, you know we we have our families and um, yeah kind of doing the same thing but at the same time i do know what probably joey is looking for in terms of setup okay. and joey is knowing exactly what i need uh, in terms of setup and it doesn't really need like if you need a setup change we can make it clear call yeah it suits both of us immediately mm -hmm. and that makes things um, so much easier and um, well, I mean, you you don't just win a championship um, by luck. So um, that was um, you know really 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 good. But um, then on top, we won um, the small championship in the four GT times, um, like the enduro championship. And um, yeah, well, we we were lucky enough to win the big one, the uh, 2016 Le Mans race. Um, we won Daytona here. Um, I think Sebring is missing, though, um, which is a bummer. But, um, you know, we have more opportunities coming up. No, it's actually it's it's actually really good. And, um, like, I spent so much time already, you know, with Joey back last year with, uh, with all the testing um, uh, going on. And it felt like we never had an off, an off time um, where he was doing NASCAR, I was doing the Enduros. Um, um, more stuff in Europe and, and so on with Multimatic but um, it feels like we, we never stopped and did that when you first started driving together did that chemistry was it quite 
immediate? Did it happen early on, or was that built over time? That relationship that you have together. It it's it was built over time, but it was built in the time where we were not teammates. So okay. we were like yeah. not car teammates. We were team teammates, mm-hmm. and um, I mean we came along um, already there, really, really, really good. And it's I think the biggest thing is we know um, that there's always a weekend where somebody is maybe you know that tiny bit faster whatever or feeling it better um we don't even care that's like a just an example but we know that the car is fast yes mm-hmm. and um so there's no ego there's no like you know if uh, you know who's doing qualifying who's doing the start who's doing um the end of the race there's no rivalry there's like okay you know the engineer wants this um fair enough here we go and um, normally we rotate like in qualifying mm-hmm. and um, yeah, no, no worries. But we, we are not doing a count at the end of the year. You have done six qualifyings and you have done five qualifyings. No, it's it's pretty much, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's a dream come true, honestly, um, in a way that's basically quite rare. It's not, a lot of people probably talk about, yeah, we're, you know, we're friends. But at the end, you know, they all want to be like the fastest mm-hmm. and we don't have that at all. That's probably quite rare, I would think. It's rare. That. It's, yes. it's, it's really yeah. rare. Yeah. yeah. And tell us about, you know, you were both involved with the 4GT program, developing that Multimatic back, same brand, but two quite different cars from, from the outside looking in. How has the development process been different with the new Mustang compared to the 4GT? I mean, it's straightforward, um, like all the smart brains from uh, Ford Performance and um, Multimatic behind makes that quite um, easy, I'd say. But there's two different regulations, right? So mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. crying eye had to see GTE class going away. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of GTE. That's, um, I mean, I, I, I can't hide it. I will not hide it. Um, so that's my, that's my, um, yeah. Um, my happy sound there and um, that's gone so um, it's a complete new ch- um, regulation with GT3 um, with the biggest thing probably adding ABS yeah so that's mm-hmm. a big big difference to what we had before and um, so you have to do different things um, like bear in mind I mean it's a car which got sold already so there's already mm-hmm. customers proton is running a car here which is the third car and um, there's going to be dynamic with a few cars for SRO so back in Europe we tested different brand tires obviously um, so you can't be only on one tire that is part of the development you need to see how is the range uh, you know is the car fitting in that um, in that kind of scenario and um, yeah, that's that's already very different to what we had in GTE because we had confidential Michelin's, and that's what we tested with. Mm-hmm. Very big difference, yeah. When you when you mention it like that, you've seen so many cars all the way back to the nine eleven GT one even, and and so many other great machines. In your, you've seen the car from its birth to now. What are the things? What are the attributes of the car which you're really pleased with at this early stage of the car's life? Um, I think what's very, very spectacular is the way Multimatic builds the Mustang GT3 for Ford Performance. It's all in-house, basically. Mm-hmm. 
uh, like even the chassis, um, you know, gets delivered and then gets modified um, in house. Mm -hmm. So you every everything is is, is assembled and machined um, in in Morseville, mm -hmm. North Carolina, and I think that's very impressive. Um, like over the short period of time, how that really you know grew and I mean it's it's a production line, right, mm -hmm. basically, mm -hmm. and. Um, it is it is it's a very um well thought through car okay like um, you know taking the new um, gt3 regulation in account like you know the way you have the engine mount to like a subframe you could take the whole subframe away from the chassis the same thing is with the rear end you can take the rear end um off the chassis and um, it's it's um, it's different to like GT3s, uh, the first, uh, second generation. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very, very modern GT3 car. Okay. And I'm sure like any good development team, you've got lots of, a big list of things you want to improve. What are the main areas that you're trying to improve at the moment where you're not quite at the level you want yet? Well, first of all, I mean, for me personally, it's kind of funny because I remember that the very first time I drove the Ford GT in Sebring, mm -hmm. and I did the same thing with the Ford Mustang. <laughs> it just happened. And both cars, like after turn three, I knew, oh yeah, that's um, that's something I like. And that's exactly what happened to the Mustang. The first, the very first time I drove it, I mean, I heard it driving and I was already in, in love. So. The sound is just spectacular. It's um, it's the you know the air intake sound mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. same time you know the exhaust pipe sound. Um, I find it very very um, very cool. Um, the five points four liter V eight is 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 really strong. I mean M Sport did a good job there. That's um, that's for sure. Um, Exploring setups, I would say, is, is mm -hmm. the things um, we are on very different setups at the minute between the three cars. Um, it's really open, open book. Uh, we know they want to explore it there. They want to explore there. We are like um, somewhere in the middle, but different. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something you haven't really done in development. Like development is mileage, 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 mm -hmm. comfort. Um, you know, change parts for the look, for the eye, mm -hmm. um, but now it's performance and performance is um, new to the program mm -hmm. in order to like, you know, really dig into it. I know what we have, but um, you want to get more out of it, right? And we are right at that stage. That's very exciting. And it, it really seems to me from looking at it, this is a long term program. This is a commitment from Ford Motor Company. Final question, in your opinion, when this program runs its course, what would be a success for you? In your view, what would make it a success? Um, I mean, the Mustang is born, and it's a big celebration year, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we were running the 64. Mm -hmm. In 64, 60 years ago, the first Mustang came out. So there's always a reason, uh, like we had with the Ford GT, because that was like 66 to 69. Mm -hmm. And we obviously in Le Mans had the 68. Uh, um, and and winning in, in 16 um, so yeah winning races I mean mm -hmm. that car the Mustang is born to win races 
That's, and as many as possible, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we're not stupid. We know how hard the competition is, and we already saw that. It's very tight. It's very close. Um, you know, then on top you have the BOP doing little adjustments, which then makes it even tighter. Um, I gotta expect a very close, very close race. Well, Dirk, it's just from from us all here in the, the paddock, it's wonderful to have you personally back mm -hmm. and to have Ford back. Thank you. We wish you all the best for this year's Rolex Thanks. 24. Awesome. Good stuff. Dirk Miller talking to uh, Peter Mackay down there in the paddock. Tomorrow at 8 here on RS1, it's UK week for the Simcast. Matt and Steve covering all the developments in GT3 rumours following the iRacing Daytona 24 Hours, uh, which was last weekend. Uh, guests include BS Plus competitions, new e-NASCAR drivers, Jordi Lopez and Garrett Lowe. They'll also be questioning why the Red Bull Ring has been added to Assetto Corsa Competizione. That's a simcast here on RS1 tomorrow at 8pm. Now, if I do that, you can hear the sound of some Mazdas, which means that I think we can finally hear again from John Hines over at Daytona. Hello, John. Does that sound like I'm at a racetrack now? Because I feel like I'm at a racetrack when I can hear engines in my headset. You've moved um, downstairs, thank you haven't very you? I've, I've, I've moved down from the management area into the witless tool of management area. Um, and thanks to Christine and our awesome tech crew from NASCAR Productions, uh, with a bit of jiggery-porkery and stretching of good old-fashioned wires, none of your digital nonsense here, <laughs> uh, we're back. We're back and running. And this... Has, uh, it does mean that we are ready to go for our extended coverage tomorrow. Excellent. Doesn't it just make your heart good to hear those Mazdas screaming around, those little two-litre, four-cylinder, 180 horsepower, and the sun has come out. The sun is shining on the righteous. Welcome to our church. We have come here. We have come here to be blessed this weekend. It is time to worship at this cathedral of speed as they go across the line underneath me. Just you know, about 11 of them all nose to tail. Uh, what we got left in the programme? Oh, can I finish my Nürburgring well, Before point, you please? do, I have a question right, yeah. about... Uh, now that you're downstairs and you can uh, look out across that uh, magnificent vista... Lake Lloyd in front of me. The if you, if you look beyond there. Lake Lloyd to a part yes. of the circuit that's not being used, or at least... Not uh, deliberately. Uh, that back straight on the oval. Yes. Uh, you'll notice that some of the uh, grass uh, to the left uh, is no longer grass. M mentioned this at the weekend, actually. I, I, I can't remember what it was I was watching at the back end of the season um, that I noticed that the entry to what is now the Le Mans chicane, as you come off Speedway Turn 2, and you head down to the braking area for the left-right, the first left-right bit, to the driver's left there, used to be all grass. And you would absolutely hammer the kerb on the inside and get your, your near-side wheels, or I would call them these, left-hand side wheels, right over the kerb, and you would start to dig a little bit of a hole there. And that would all be, that would all be grass. That is now all Not hard grass. standing. Yeah, it's all hard standing. It's, it's tarmac and, and all that sort of stuff. I presume that is um, not necessarily for these cars. But I, not I, I for don't these know. cars, I suppose no. If, I suppose if you got on there, it would give you half a chance of slowing down more. Um, 
I'll talk to Bob Barfield, our race director, um, in the next day or so about you know keeping an eye open for people shortcutting there because you are sort of making that a bit easier for them, if truth be told. Um, uh, this is a result of uh, something that happened. Uh, in a NASCAR race here last year where a uh, car go. got onto the grass and uh, went uh, nose downwards into it. Ah, and it dug in, did it? Mm. Was that the problem? So, not not wanting to repeat that, uh, they have removed the grass from that uh, particular stretch of the track. Well, I, think that's, I think that's reasonable. I, I think it's a reasonable think, safety move. Yes, Uh Having cars nosing into grass and flipping over Endor, uh, no, not good. Um, the, now the you, can finish your, uh, you can finish your Nürburgring story now. Going into the West Horseshoe at the moment, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 of the 29 entries are in one big pack um, on the infield at the moment. More and of that tomorrow during the race. Oh, We've got qualifying to come. Are we, are we doing qualifying on radio? We are, we are aren't we? Uh, I yeah, think it's great. on my timetable. Yeah. Yes, it is. And then we'll have live. Uh, all the audio, as ever, is free. And and if you come into the track, it's 107.9 WDIS. Um, you should be really saying 107.9 WDIS. Um, so, uh, the, I think we should get some around, uh, people in Dallas to sing WDIS. DIS. Well, we can get Nick to do that, I'm sure. Nick, um, and you there? All of yes. <laughs> Let's have a uh, oh, Dallas-style WDIS better. jingle, please. It's WDIS. Oh, I think I think I think you might have overproduced that one. Um, so we'll have the well, whether you're here in the states or further afield, um, we'll be able to watch both the Master races. Uh, <laughs> on Thursday and Friday, and they're always bonkers good, so make sure you do. My point about the Nürburgring, and I will get it out now because we're now not relying on uh, various other bits of uh, internet. Uh, we are now on fibre um, and through the Alpha truck down in the uh, the infield again, thanks to NASCAR Productions. It's fibre all the uh, way from uh, when it plugs in, when it comes out of. Uh the back of your mixer, all the way to uh, to here in London. This is fibred all the way. All the way. We ran the cable ourselves. Uh, it's, very, it's very important. Uh, Nürburgring, cutting down the amount of hours you have to do is basically so that anybody in the first part of the season, and particularly those who are in SROs, International GT uh, Series, um, International GT Championship, who may not have a full permit for GT cars, they can go and do the two-day event, then they can upgrade purely in the time that there is in the qualifying weekend. Now, uh, Johannes has suggested to me that there have already been designated, those two races, uh, rounds of the... Did we decide that the VLN's gone back to being called the VLN again, or they're still yeah. calling it the NLS? We're not sure. There's a, there's a really right. good interview with the man at the top of the VLN on the uh, NLS website. Uh, right. I think it was published last Thursday. Um, and he explains it. all about the court case and why they felt that they had to uh, do it and not just negotiate uh, and sort of the future of... 
uh, motor racing on the Nürburgring. Um, and basically, the, the judge who's decided that the Nürburgring uh, is, is common land and anyone can hold a race there if they, uh, if they want to. Uh, well, it's been suggested to me that the two qualifying races on that weekend for the ADSE 24 hours have been designated or will be designated as VLN. Oh, we've got a red flag in the Mazdas. And I can't tell you why. Because rather stupidly, I left me binoculars at home. Uh, anyway, so that's the point. And m- my question to, to, to Nick was going to be... I tried to ask it twice before. That sort of makes me think that the DMSB and the ADAC, uh, Nick, aren't overly confident of the two other parties getting their you-know-what together um, and getting people into a race schedule before we get to the Nürburgring 24. If they've changed the whole licensing setup so that you can get it done on the weekend, we know it is going to happen. Not exactly about confidence, is it? I think they probably recognise that um, the uh, let's be honest, the, 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 let's be really honest. Nurburgring has previous for disappearing over his own chaff, hasn't it? So uh, there's a good chance he may do it again. Nick went very quiet there. Uh, thank you for that. Finally, and thank you for your patience in getting it done and the um, and uh, waiting for me to get that finally get that down the line to you. Um, looks like we might be finished for the day here. I've got to pop over to one Daytona in a little while and do some driver interviews. Where would you like to take us next, Tim? I'd like to uh, leave you pretty much where you are, but uh, we're going to talk about a story uh, that is more relevant to Sebring than to Daytona because it features uh, someone who was a winner at the Sebring 12 Hours last year. Uh, and what he's going to be doing at Sebring this year. Mm. Okay. Uh, can you guess who I'm talking about? Uh, winner at the 12 hours or just at some random race at Sebring? Uh, he's a three-time Mobile 112 hours at Sebring LMP2 class winner. Oh, okay. This Anne Schaefer stats like that. Uh, go on, tell me. This is Scott Huffaker. Scott Huffaker, right, and what's he doing at Sebring this year? He'll be uh, in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America, which uh, launches oh. its uh, championship there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll be driving the number 22 uh, for uh, World Speeds, uh, World Speed Motorsport. Excellent. He said, I'm excited to be joining World Speed this season. I uh, grew up seeing them at the track, so it'll be great to finally get the opportunity to work with them. We plan to fight for strong results, and I see no reason why we can't achieve something great. I'm looking forward to the first race at Sebring. Uh, Porsche has kicked off their season in the 2024 North America, uh, Carrera Cup North America, should I say it? So they'll be there as well with a yes. uh, bumper. Oh, now I've said that. Are they there? Yes, they are. Porsche at Sebring, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. do they start there? Do they go to St. Pete's before that? No, they're no. not going to St. Pete's this year. That's right. Porsche's on the streets of St. Pete. Wouldn't that be fun? The only... They're uh, not no. going to Long Beach this this year, are they? No, they're not going to Long Beach. They've added another Formula One track. Yes, uh, Montreal. Montreal. That's a busy weekend because that is Le Mans test weekend. Oh, we've gone straight back green again for the Masters. Um, 
should be able to hear that. Yes, if you listen very carefully. That's Shay's voice on the PA. Shay. Just about making out Shay. Yes, that was Shay on the PA. Shay on the PA. Um, uh, Montreal uh, with the Grand Prix. They will be at Miami with the Grand Prix and finishing off their season at the Austin. Circuit Marius with the Grand Prix. Grand Prix. Uh, Grand Prix. Um, so that's three Grand Prix and everything else is with IMSA for their eight event 16 round championship that's the Porsches and we won't see them here this weekend as we say that will start at Sebring let's just do some two wheeled news oh yes go on oh hooray because well Superbikes are at Jerez at the moment and uh, today was the first day of their tests go on then I I, I think you're going to go with all the launches we've had for um, MotoGP Uh, who was fastest today um, uh, Belega apparently Nicola Belega on the Ducati yes really it's uh, Bautista's new teammate the guy who won Super Sport mm-hmm. uh, he um, he was fastest yes by uh, a second apparently he said I had a good feeling today I could push almost 100% so this is important Alex Lowe's was second top track was Zach Yoglu was third Michael van der Mark fourth, Remy Garden fifth, Jonathan Ray uh, sixth, Andre Yanone seventh, Garrett Gerloff eighth, Danilo Petrucci ninth, and Alvaro Batista was tenth. Do we know about Alvaro's next better yet? Uh, that was quite there's no quotes from him on the press release. Uh, he did 68 laps, though, so that's twice as many as Alex Lowe's. Mm. Um, so that suggests that he probably isn't feeling any pain in his neck. Good, hopefully. <laughs> so much to say about that, <laughs> honestly. Uh, Tyler Gonzalez has got the fastest time for Mazda with six and a half minutes to go. Two away at four four four. Once again, our um, scholarship winner, young Mister Workman, is in second place. That's two second places in a row in the first two practice laps. That's fi- uh, practice sessions. That's fine. Nate Cicero is third. Uh, then it's Wagner, Herman, Aaron Johnson, Nicholson, Connor Zilic, De Costa, and Celine Roland for your top ten, and they are separated by eight tenths of a second. That top ten, as we go, just under five minutes to go. And those are the cars you can hear in the background. And Nick's got some two-wheeled news as well, haven't you, Nick? Of your own. Where are you going next for testing? I'm going to Cartagena. Ooh. Uh, but that's not until I'm doing a three-day test in Cartagena, but not until after I've, I've completed my, uh, my, my jobs at Daytona. I have found the no. uh, Bautista press release now, so I can give you an injury update. He said, uh, uh, riding the bike this morning, the strength in my arm was really good, but the problem was in my neck and back. I felt a lot of pain, uh, and I was really yeah. worried. But fortunately, lap after lap, it felt better, so I got more relaxed, and I could do a lot of laps. I was thinking more about the pain than riding the bike. That's, that's oh, one of those nasty. It was a really nasty injury he got, which was glossed over and obviously ruined his his, his uh, wild card ride. Um, you know, at GP. But yeah, apparently well, also, but he's also they're, they're now doing some work to work out where to put the ballast he's got to have on the bike with the of new course, um, yes. bike and uh, rider rules and W in, in World Superbikes. Uh, the reason 
uh, Alex Lowe's only 31 laps because he is feeling unwell. Uh, and yet, still the second fastest with one yeah, thirty nine four seven four. Yeah, but it's down. It's down the tyre they're using because they've got three different tyres. They've got the the medium, the soft, and then the super duper unbelievable soft they use for. They've got the qualifying tyre, they've got the super sprint tyre, and they've got the sorry, the super pole tyre, and they've got the long, long tyre. And there's a quite a lot of difference in that. So, as always in testing, time's not important, but overall progress moving forward is. Uh, he said he did limited laps this morning and uh, then rested this afternoon. Uh, so that he could uh, hopefully feel better for day two of the test, which is tomorrow. Uh, so that's all the two-wheeled news we've got, uh, and pretty much all we've got time for, John. And I know you're still there, because I can hear the Mazdas in the background. Or maybe he can't hear us anymore. It's exciting, isn't it? No, okay, no, John. So, uh, in that case, uh, we shall say goodbye. Uh, Nick, you're about to go to the airport and fly to Daytona. I am. I shall be there from uh, Friday morning, uh, Daytona time, Friday afternoon. Well, I should be on air from Friday Friday morning, Daytona time. Um, yeah, Joe and I are hitting the pit lane to uh, give assistance, able and hopeful assistance to Shane. Uh, looking forward to it very much. And in the commentary box, it will be uh, John with Peter Mackay and... Uh, Jeremy Shaw. Jeremy Shaw, of course. Uh, but that's all we've got time for for this week's mo- Midweek Motorsport. Don't forget the Simcast tomorrow at 8 on RS1 and check uh, RadioLamon.com for all the times uh, for all the sessions we're covering live from Daytona and Dubai for the rest of the week. For now, from Nick Damon, John Heintoff and uh, Peter Mackay and myself, it's good night. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.